Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the homo sapien. Hello again, humans, and welcome back to episode 11 of Level Up Human Extra. The extra bits of the podcast where we look into what's happening right now and what might be happening in the future. My name is Simon Watt, I'm your host, and I'm joined by producer Rachel Wheelie. Hello, I am in a 3D printed bath right now. Oh dear. I'm you're not. Gonna tell me, you're about to get all excited about 3D printing as well. I did see a drone which is made out of a bath plus, well, all the normal drone things. Have you ever seen a drone which is like a car, which has the four propellers on each corner of it, and then it's like a capsule that you can get into and and fly around in? Some people have made one out of a bath. Why? So that you could have a bath whilst flying around. This is just really like a really high-tech version of Last of the Summer Wine, isn't it? Where a drone (laughs) bath is just (laughs) raging down the slopes towards some woman who's got unfortunate stockings rolling down her legs. I, for one, welcome the reboot. I have Anna Pajajski to thank for this, right? Who was on our Latitude episode. Yes, um, excellent young communicator. She is now a doctor. She's had her PhD since. Congratulations, Anna. I I owe this to Dr. Anna Pajajski. Check out her podcast, Real Talk. Well, this is why. So she's done two episodes recently. One was on PLA, which is the material used in 3D printing. And one was on virtual materials, which is talking about something which I want to talk about about this. Anyway, I have now gone down a complete 3D printing rabbit hole, Okay, having listened to these episodes, and it's so mind-blowing how how interesting 3D printing is. So don't give me all this, it's not interesting. It's the future of everything. Yeah, I suppose to my mind, it might be possibly all news. So what's, what's new in 3D printing? The bit that's sort of upcoming and interesting yeah. is the fact that there's a lot of generative design. Okay, tell that's me more. That's what's interesting. So yeah. maybe 3D printing isn't the interesting bit. Maybe generative design is what's the interesting bit. So, Is this short for personalization, really? No, or is it more? not really. Okay. Okay, imagine a dining room table. Done. Imagine you had to design a dining room table. Okay, right? yes. So it's like flat bit, four legs, done. Put it on my dining table. The problem with, yeah, the problem with people designing things is that we can only think in terms of what what we've seen before and, and how we already imagine something is going to look. If you get machine 
learning involved and you actually just give a computer the parameters of what you want it to do so you want it to create a solution to a problem and you let it do it itself okay by creating things and then testing them in the virtual environment until they work as well as they can then you end up with some things which look nuts or look quite bionic and weird and organic but which maybe work better than anything humans can possibly come up with on their own without using these algorithms to help them and using 3d printers you can print things which are accurate representations of what that machine has designed yes efficiently and cheaply in the place where they're needed why cheaply cheaply because they don't waste anything so your dining room table you've just designed has wooden legs right so you have to cut a tree down and waste a lot of that wood to get to the wooden legs if you 3d print the legs you're only yeah, using we're, we're the just amount. plastic yeah that's no not what no I use. no because 3d printers don't only use plastic well okay i was, I was being slightly flippant there with that but I'm, I'm thinking as in terms of if you're going wood bad whatever the hell it is that this 3d 3d printer you're using okay is good i can see you i doubt that you're I on can a winner see here. you're not impressed let me tell you about something else right this is gonna this is gonna hopefully Move Simon from an anti-3D printing or 3D printing is boring. No, no, it, I just think it's mentality. old news for, for this. I want to see why what's new about it. Because the, the design feature okay, you okay. talked about was Here's exciting. All that's, right, that's, right. that's brilliant. Right, generative design then. Okay, so... Uh, here I'm sold already. If you, yeah. if you get a machine to design all the parts of an aeroplane yeah. in this way, yeah. right? So it's like use the least amount of material possible. Yes. Um. And then you get shapes which look quite weird, but which when you make them, they work perfectly in the environment that they needed to work in because the machine has tested it. And you make your aeroplane out of pieces that have been designed by this generative design. Uh-huh. The Airbus company reckons that it can save 500,000 metric tons of CO2 per year yes. purely because the aeroplanes are lighter. Well, funny. This is well. This is a, this is a slightly different issue, but one that's related is that there has been superior aircraft design now for a long time. There, there are designs where they look a little bit like bishops' hats. Um, there, there are a great many designs of aircraft that have never been iterated simply because of the sort of safety and testing aspect. Mm. So, if we're using a virtual environment and the virtual environment is good enough to be relatively accurate of of the truth, then that's going to be one of those things that is that is fantastic, and, and will hopefully move on. But but the thing which is holding back a lot of aircraft design amounts to safety and, and litigation. Yes. And I think probably you're talking slightly more like completely innovative aircraft design, right? So a completely different shape to what you'd expect. I suppose I'm talking about more like let's redesign all the bits of an aircraft and it still looks more lighter like an aircraft. But so that everything is lighter but still works. Yes. Because it's been, because it's been created by machine learning rather than human thought. Or rather, you have a designer who puts all the parameters in and tweaks what comes out. So it's like, you know, it's a tool like everything else. But it's quite it's quite exciting that that is possible. Yeah, it's fantastic. But I suppose I'm just, I wouldn't be too surprised if some of these uh, designs the machines come up with are ones that already exist, but were yet to implement as well. Yes, that's possible. Um, partly because whenever you're talking about humans and their their... You're basically saying that humans are biased and stuck because they only work with what they know already. And humans do some really, really great design because they don't just base on their own experience. One of the best ways of learning about aircraft design has been looking at whales, uh, biomimicry, and seeing how nature has done things before it's helped. So yes. in the past 10 years, you probably noticed these little bumps appearing on the aircraft wings. 
and they basically help fight against the sort of eddies caused in the flow of air. And they're pretty much mimicking the fins that you see on uh, baleen whales. So the fluid dynamics and the air dynamics are fundamentally similar. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, there you go, you see. And that's probably, you know, what you're dealing with there is evolution has come through millions of years of like... Yes, and machine thing. learning. And machine learning evolution. is doing the same thing. It's using the environment and it's, you know... So, so yeah, but absolutely. We, We're on the same page here. Oh, yeah, we, um, we entirely are. But, okay, what's this got to do with so the 3D here's printing another thing. part? Here's another thing. Well, the 3D printing part is that you... Having designed this bit of an aircraft, you then send the STL file or whatever it is through to the printer, which is at the airbase thing where the thing's going to be built. Yes. And out it comes using no extra materials to what you've actually... No, no, there is no waste because it prints it dot by dot. Dot by dot. And then you put it in the aircraft. And so that's very efficient. Okay, that's... Oh, you're still looking at me like, yeah, I already know that. Okay, but some people don't already know actually, that. Actually, anyway, please explain to our people, but, as you're into 3D printing, because you've never done this so far, Yeah, what actually is 3D printing? How does it work? If you want to know how 3D printers work, um, go and listen to the PLA episode of Real Talk, which is R-I-A-L-T-A-L-K. Yeah. Uh, Real Talk podcast. However, if you can't be bothered to do that... Um, I'll just briefly explain that 3D printing is basically where you print something on the X, Y, and Z axis with a blob of stuff, which is built up slowly, yes. gradually. Um, and so you don't have to do all the wasteful sort of procedures that people have had to do with things in the past. Like if you mill something you lose all the stuff that you're milling away from the thing that you want. Whereas if you 3D print it, you just, you only use what you need. And it can be used um, with all kinds of different materials, not just plastic. So one of the, one of the things you can 3D print is solar panels. Okay. And a 3D printed photovoltaic solar panel can produce more energy uh, than a conventional flat panel. So they're basically 20% more efficient. Yeah, more of that, please. So that's quite cool. And they print with copper, indium, gallium, and selenide, of which I know what copper is out of that list. <laughs> and what I know about copper is that it goes green in the rain. And I don't really know anything. Do you know one of the great joys of this tech that you, you, we, we kind of glossed over there when you're talking about sending it off across the world mm. is the the, uh, the only needing instructions coming from one place and then they can implement them as many times as you like somewhere else. That That's one of the great bits of this. Yeah. And I know that, for instance, they have effectively sent designs for tools to the International Space Station and they'll print the tools oh, I out know, there. right. How cool is that? Also, I think it completely screws with government's import and export taxes, doesn't it? Because at the moment, all our stuff is coming from a slow boat from China. And if it's actually being sent through the cloud and then downloaded and printed in people's homes, I'm talking about the future, right? Not yes. right now. But if you've got a 3D printer in your home mm. and you fill it up with, it's like having an inkjet printer and having to fill it up with cyan, magenta, and the other one. Uh, but instead, you have a, a 3D printer which you can fill up with. Hell, you can fill it with chocolate if you want. You can build. You can build anything in your home with just instructions from the cloud, so long as you've got the sort of raw materials. Yes, that's a big so long as. So long, it is a big so long as. It and is. one of the things which is a sort of, because I'm, I'm all for this stuff, and the more interesting thing with this is, it's what it's effectively going to do to intellectual property. Mm -hmm. So 
Look, you, you painted this as if I'm massively against 3D printing, which I'm not. No, I no, I'm tons painting of it good as stuff. if you're bored by 3D printing well, and there's am, nothing new about okay, it. Okay, I, I am ever so slightly because actually this has been going on long enough that we're already into that time that people are predicting in five years' time everybody will have one of these and I still don't. Like this is this you is mean, getting to be older technology. You mean people have been saying you'll have one in five years for longer than that. In five years, yeah. Okay. Like it was in 2013 that the first 3D printed gun was printed. Like mm. so, that's an interesting thing again. Of like, how do you regulate things we manufactured in homes? How do you inter- regulate intellectual property? Like you're not buying a chair anymore. You're buying the f- the design for a chair, mm. and you can produce a thousand of them if you like. Now that's that's a fascinating thing. If you're doing personalization where you're not making jewelry and clothing that fits just you uh, because your biometrics are going into it, do you own that design or does someone else? Hmm. You see, I mean, that's that's the, the itchy stuff to this, I think. All of this is going to have to be sorted out and it'll be interesting to see how that happens. But I mean, like, there's some exciting kind of practical implications of this stuff. You use a machine algorithm to design something that goes inside your body. And yes. it will use a kind of micro lattice structure to create something which is much easier to integrate with the body than the human design of it, maybe. Because it's using, as you say, it's kind of like basing its ideas on nature, in a sense, because it's trying to be efficient. And that's kind of what nature's doing as well. Okay, Rachel, before we go too deep into this, and you, you get overblown by the excitement of how this is the best thing ever, rather than just being another mediocre toy... Let's go a bit more into depth. Actually, how does a 3D printer work? I can kind of understand it, but there seems to be quite a bit of variety. And it seems to be that you can fill up these jets with all sorts of stuff. Hmm. And it's having such wide applications. What's the basic one? What What is the kind of 3D printer that we might see in our home at some point in the future? What does that look like? The basic one is like a cube box with one jet with PLA plastic in it which will then recreate a design which you have got off the internet. <laughs> or made yourself, as Which it builds up dot by dot of like molten plastic in layers until a 3D design has been created. And then at the top, it stops, the thing dries, a door opens, and you get out your sunglasses and you walk out into the street and bump into a lamppost. I think my favorite one of these that I saw literally 12 or so years ago now, their favorite thing that they were producing from the 3D printer was all the parts to make another 3D printer. Yeah. All the cogs that you could assemble. Well, this is part of the singularity. It was like it was giving birth. Yeah. Yeah. So this this might be the kind of tech which... Well, why why are you actually excited about it? Like the the wastage stuff we talked about, the um, being able to share designs, the hackability degree that we all might be able to design our own stuff. That's all. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Great. But why why are you so enthused about this? What's so great about it? Um, because I'm a very lazy person. <laughs> so, well, I envisage a time when I'm quite old, admittedly, where where I'll just have a 3D printer in my house. It'll be loaded up with all the raw materials that I need to make absolutely anything. And I won't have to get up to do very much. So it'll print me my lunch. Okay. It'll print me uh, my stuff that I want to buy that I currently have to get. Printing lunch, actually. Let's go back to that one. Well, I mean, I don't know very much about printing your lunch, but you can 3D print food. But again, from one from one thing, because I know there there was some research, particularly into this, from the the kind of the corn community, for want of a better phrase, because so much of uh, meat and other types of foods uh, taste comes down to their texture. So I know that one of the ways of trying to replicate mycoprotein fungus and stuff into something more palatable was trying to get the three D structure right. So a replicator like there isn't that, that Star Trek. Yeah. It would Could be like having, be a printer. It would be like having a replicator in your house. One of the things mentioned on the Real Talk uh, podcast about 3D printing was that L'Oreal 3D print skin. L'Oreal do this. They do. In order because to, you're worth it. Yeah. In order to in order to test their products on skin. Oh, that makes much more sense. I thought this was like the new type of foundation of ditch your no, own just, skin, stick this on. It's not a bad idea. I'd do that. Um yeah, they print a cow's worth of skin a year. A cow's worth of skin. Apparently. So wow. so the reason I actually found it in, in the first place is because the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab have just created something which is basically uh, color-changing 3D prints, if that makes sense. So we've talked before about how you're building up three-dimensional design with blobs of plastic. Yeah. But if you can... If you can shine a particular kind of light on your item that you've 3D printed and it changes color because it's got photochromic dye on it, then you can change the color of your chair that you've just printed for yourself once a season and you don't have to buy a new one. So that's quite cool, isn't it? You know, one of the massive problems of um, the overconsumptive world that we live in, I think, is fashion. In that there's no, there isn't a kind of like, idea that actually once you've got a jumper you don't need to buy another jumper ever because you've got a jumper and if it wears out buy another one but otherwise don't you know fashion says that actually you should have 12 and yeah, that's why it have, exists it's supposed to try and cause insecurity the latest one yeah exactly so if your stuff can actually change well while you've already got it then that's going to save quite a lot of wastage of no just, it's not 
Well, that's really not going to happen. Well, because if you it's not going to make you buy more stuff, then they'll find other ways to make you buy of more course, stuff. Of course, of course, of course. And people will buy loads and loads of raw materials to print themselves loads and loads of stuff. But at least if you've got something that can change color, that's quite useful. Yeah, I, th- I think the, if you're talking about that sort of the fashion end, the use of 3D printing that'll really come from all this stuff is is personalization. Like we'll never have anything that doesn't fit exactly right again. Like if you're 3D printing mm. uh, watch straps or rings or jewelry or anything like that, you're not getting which is exact fit for just you. One of the problems that I'm dealing with with this, and, and I am excited about it, but I am also having a problem with it, is that it's the equivalent of someone saying, look at this room with a computer in it in the 70s. Yes. Look how Adrian there is operating it by feeding it bits of paper which go in and then it does a calculation for you and then the printer comes out and it's worked out nine times six. It took 20 minutes, but it did it. Right. And then and then um, contrast that with the fact that my phone now can do can run my entire life for me and has more power than a million of those computers that were the size of a room in the 70s. And I think the point that I'm trying to make is 3D printing is that, in that it's going to be absolutely everywhere and it's going to be able to print things which you can't even conceive of right now and it's going to be able to do things for you that you can't even conceive of right now. I don't quite agree. I think you're being maybe a wee bit overly optimistic just in terms of I think it could be the Betamax of the future. Or the VHS or something. Instead, it could be one of those sort of slight fads. I'm talking about 3D printing as as people talk about computing. Yeah, right. I'm saying your analogy is wrong. It's, so go <laughs> it's, it's going to be as massive as that. Nah. Okay. Well, there, well, there are 3D printed houses already out there already. Like I've uh, I've seen go. one. Okay. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not that it doesn't go on the same. It's not a separate category to computers. You know, it's not as big as that, perhaps, uh, in that, you know, all of these things are going to be using computers. But it's, I would say it's a huge thing in that it's going to be everywhere in a way that you probably can't even conceive of right now. The one that really excites me, um, and of course this is from my biology angle, is the 3D printing of organs, which people have been trying. Um, because you can't put sort of live cultured cells into these sort of inkjets. And it is pretty low-tech stuff that they've been using and still getting good results. So the ways the ways they do it vary. Um, you can try and lay down sort of cell by cell to an extent, or you can try and create scaffolds around which cells can grow. And I think currently the scaffolds are still the ones which are working best because the fundamental tricky thing is, of course, a body does not layer down a your does not lay down an organ layer by layer by layer by layer. So the tech might have a limited scope for that. But for these scaffolding things, it seems to be terrific. Mm. You're talking about the artificial skin, which L'Oreal is using. That's first being used in things like skin grafts. It could be wonderful. Yeah. And if you've got these micro lattice things made out of titanium. But again, that's the same kind of thing as the personalization that we're talking about, because we all only have our own heart. So if you have to 3D print a new heart, it's specific to you and your body. The, the specificity is the, is the great joy of this tech. They can have things just exactly right. Which I think is why the generative design thing is what's really interesting. I, I think that you might be confusing two technologies here because this generative design could still work with a traditional factory, even so to speak. The design is separate from oh, creation. Yeah, yeah, generative design is not a 3D printing thing. Yeah. It's separate. But what I'm saying is that it is quite cool in combination with 3D printing. Yeah. Because you've got... Uh, machine learning algorithms which can design something which is really weird looking but because of 3d printing 
you can create that thing. Whereas maybe other techniques of, of manufacturing, it would be very, very difficult. You'd look at the generative design, you'd be like, well, that's lovely, but how the hell are we going to make it? Whereas now, if you combine it with 3D printing, you can make it. Is the future of this going to be that one of these days, at some office party in the future, it's Christmas time, somebody gets a bit drunk, they accidentally end up 3D printing their own bum? Yes. That's going to happen that eventually, absolutely, isn't it? absolutely, absolutely will happen, 100%. I want a chance to talk about something which is a bit of news, which is Cheddar Man. Have you heard about this? Yeah, briefly, tell me. Well, basically, we've got a new DNA analysis of a guy who's discovered in the Cheddar Gorge about 60 years ago now. They, they've nicknamed him uh, Cheddar George, which is great in its own right. <laughs> and because that, that is basically a Wallace and Gromit character, isn't it? Oh, it's just fantastic. Some of the puns that have been coming out of this are fantastic. Like Just the way that also, because he's quite old, we can also call him extra mature cheddar. Man. <laughs> you know, these jokes are really cheesy, you know? That's, they, uh, really, yeah, they really are. Bim, bim for that. But there, there's a couple of things which have been really fascinating. How do you dig up a cheddar man? Well, I, I, do you know what? I don't know the exact specifics of where they find him, but the bit which has caught all... The newspaper's imagination is unfortunately kind of the most boring and dull bit, which is that the guy's got dark skin. Which, again, to biologists, is not that surprising. Pale skin only evolves maybe 10 to 7,000 uh, years ago. This is a relatively recent thing yeah. uh, for, for Europeans. Well, by looking at its DNA, they've been able to tell that it's, uh, you know, pale skin probably comes from Middle East, that kind of area from but six, seven thousand years ago, thereabouts. And he would have been lactose intolerant. So imagine being cheddar man and you can't even eat the cheese. Well, Simon, you, you gave a very long answer to that question because the answer is carefully. Careful. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, but um, I only actually mentioned, I was going to leave it, but then you brought it back to a cheese pun. So I thought it's fine. It's uh, <laughs> it's fair game now. Okay. So what what is the... So is the point of this that it's not very surprising that he had dark skin? Well, no, it's it's not surprising in the least. And like light skin is the derived state and only comes because probably of a lack of vitamin D. So pretty much when you're up in the region where you're likely to get things like SAD and seasonal effectiveness disorder and you need to get more sunlight because you need sunlight to stop you getting rickets and to develop vitamin D and that kind of stuff, then having melanin in your skin becomes a bit of a barrier, and it's a tricky thing. So pale skin, pale eyes starts to evolve. This guy had darker skin. He would have had pale eyes. He wasn't able to drink milk yet. And this is one of the kind of early Britons. Uh, so these islands look like they've been populated for about 15,000 years, with a little bit of back and forward hunter-gatherer. Vikings and so on, yeah. Uh, <laughs> several thousand years out, a great many thousand years out. But these guys are... <laughs> Yeah, they would they would have walked across. This is uh, this is all the way from Doggerland. So back when there was a connection, before a kind of before Boris glacial. Johnson puts a bridge in, <laughs> when there was a connection, you could just walk in to this yeah. place without any of the palaver that seems to be necessary now. Yeah, and well, yeah, these these are some of the earliest people. And actually, Chris Stringer and the people at Natural History Museum. Who, I did a bit of work with, ironically, I did actually meet Chris Stringer first over a cheese lunch. We were having nice. various kinds. And he was uh, telling us, as a student back then, we were learning a great deal about the evolution of man. They've been studying this guy for ages now. And we're probably still related to him. Perhaps 10% of modern Britain genetics is from this guy and his people. 
So there's still a bit of Cheddar Man in all of us. Yeah. My favourite thing also, if you get a chance to look these things up, because the, the Natural History Museum and the people who work with them, they do fantastic reconstructions. I've seen some of their Neanderthal reconstructions and stuff, but they have got such wonderful facial expressions. And, <laughs> and this one, Cheddar George, he just has such a kind of knowing look. He looks like somebody's told him a really filthy joke. Right. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. About Brie. About Brie. Yeah. I've just checked out the details. They discovered in 1903 and... Basically, since that time, DNA extraction and techniques have come on so much we can understand more about him now than we ever have before. So he's actually full of holes now. It's, <laughs> among other things, he's also missing all his skin, <laughs> of course. Right, yeah. 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 Poor bloke. Ah, here we go. Feature fractures on the surface of his skull suggest that he might well have a bit of a violent end. And because he was found in a cave, it's possible that he was placed there by Elizabeth's tribe. He was kind of buried. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Rich, what do you got coming up? Where can people see you live? You can see me at, well, I'm in Tame on the 3rd of March. Tame? That's a place? Stoken Church on the 10th of March. Stoken Church? Comedy Ladder gigs. And I'm also doing Bright Club in Guildford on the 7th. Awesome. How about you? Um, I've got a fair whack. Actually, I'm back in my home motherland of Northern Ireland soon. So uh, I'll be there with Johnny Berliner doing Universally Challenged. It's kind of uh, our version of Universally Challenged, except every single round is based on kind of structure of a pun, if I'm honest. It's it's a pub quiz with a difference. There will be no sport round. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds ideal. It'll be quite musical and good fun. I'm doing Look Up, my show for kids and families about space science and a bit of comedy at the uh, W5 as well, all sorts of things. So yeah, go to the Northern Ireland Science Festival. It's all around the province, but you'll find me up in Belfast for most of it. If there's anything you'd like us to talk about on Level Up Human Extra, just give us a tweet. We are at Level Up Human. Oh yeah, check out all our old episodes because we've released over 50 episodes now, most of which are live panel shows with scientists and comedians discussing what we want for the next stage of humanity. See you soon. Bye. That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Wellcome Trust. For more information, go to levelupyoumen.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.